0: Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nuthu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader, and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast, and here's George Nudu.
1: Hello, Mary, how are you?
2: Well, I'm well. Thank you, George. And thank you for having me in uh, the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for agreeing. I've been looking forward uh, as I've been following you, seeing you new with your new book and the things that are happening. So I was looking forward at least to get to hear your leadership story, you know, firsthand. So tell us, Mary, currently, what's your leadership role?
2: Currently, I am the group executive director for Equity Group Holdings. Equity Group Holdings is um, a banking and financial services group operating within the um, Eastern and Central African region. Uh, so basically, we are in a banking business, we are in uh, insurance, we are in tech business, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So my role actually entails oversight over the subsidiaries with a specific focus on governance and leadership. So that, that's my day-to-day a job at uh, equity for the last about uh, five years, because I took this role in 2018.
1: You said you oversee governance and leadership. Wow, that's yes. quite something. Yes,
2: yes, leadership and governance.
1: So, what does that entail?
2: Yeah, basically, what it means is um, I have been in equity, and for the better part of uh, my work, I was since 2004. I was the secretary to the board, and eventually I became the company secretary for the group when the group got listed on the stock exchange in 2006. And of course, uh, being a fast growing organization, it also meant that um, somebody needed to be in charge of, you know, like for instance, uh, developing the policies for the group. Are both for the banking business, but also from the governance perspective, just making sure that the, board, the, the boards are fully constituted, they are doing their mandate in accordance with um, strict governance uh, requirements. And also since we also regulated as a bank and now also as an insurance company part of the group, we are also regulated by the Central Bank of Kenya, Insurance Regulated Authority. So there are several, and we are also listed, so there are several uh, statutory requirements and guidelines that uh, we have to observe on a day-to-day basis. So my role is to just ensure that equity operates as a highly well-governed organization. The structures have been, uh, and because they are, it, it has also called for evolution of the structures of equity, both at the management level and also at the board level, because uh, as the business evolved, there was need to keep on reviewing. So it's been a very fast growing role, uh, especially as we did each country after each country, uh, right from Kenya, which was the source. And then we went to Uganda. We went to South Sudan, Tanzania, Rwanda, and finally, recently to the DRC. So basically that's what I do. And of course now at the management level, just to make sure that the structure has the right human resources and also the leadership requirements or needs of each and every person in the structure have been looked at and and, and the people have been sufficiently prepared for leadership roles as the business evolves so that, that's basically what I focus on uh, at the moment.
1: Wow, quite a lot of work.
2: Yes, huh? it, it's quite a lot, George, let me tell you. <laughs>
1: so wow, well, as you're talking, I'm just trying to imagine. <laughs> I'm just seeing you and you juggling balls, you know.
2: Hey, how do I do all this? Yeah. But let me tell you something. Yes. Uh, now you think it's a lot. Until you hear what I was previously doing before I now took over the role of group executive director, I was a company secretary, but I also doubled that role with the role of director for strategy for the group. And that is because we were also doing the regional expansion uh, outside Kenya. And I was in charge of most of the, actually all the expansion projects that we did between 2008 and um, a DLC, we did it in 2015. So within that period, we expanded into another five countries other than Kenya, and I was the director for strategy. And to add on to that, I was also looking after investor relations because one of our key stakeholders is... Um, shareholders. We also have both from on the equity side, the people who are put in capital, and those who are put in debt, because we also have some lenders on board, some DFIs and other financing institutions, uh, global financial institutions. So I was also managing those uh, partnerships and uh, relationships. So if you think what I'm doing now is a lot, now understand what I used to do. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, wow. so 2018 is when... Um, well, of course, as part of my leadership uh, yes. responsibility, I took it upon myself to make sure that we get in more skilled people. Yes. Uh, so, so I got a company secretary. So, yes. I, I, I ceded my role as company secretary, who deals now more with the compliance on a day-to-day basis, actual management of the boards, and, and on a day-to-day basis, etc., board development, and all that. Eh? And then I also we also got a director for strategy. Now that's a different office, uh, together with the investor relations. So those two roles also I don't do anymore. But one thing that George, you will notice that you know in a, in a fast growing organization, and I'm sure you know this because even those people who, even those people who run law firms or other owner managed businesses, they know that it is usually a game of uh, multitasking so sometimes the partner is also the accountant is also the human resource manager is also the, uh, the marketing manager is also the anything that requires to be done uh, sometimes they, they are also the messenger they actually physically go to the to the bank you know to deposit cash depending of course on the size of the outfit so that that was the way it was when we were growing as equity. And, and because also the business was growing very fast, we could not create capacity fast enough. So we had to double up our roles one way or another because at the end of the day, we needed to do what we needed to do. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we are where we are now.
1: Wow. And congratulations. I mean, it's been a success story. And that is yeah, good to know that you are in the midst of it. So kudos to you. So, Mary, tell me, looking back, where did your leadership journey begin?
2: Well, probably I would say in a small, in a smaller way or in a smaller magnitude. I would say that those small roles that I took up uh, when I was growing up uh, in school, for instance, um, uh, when I joined secondary school, for instance, I was a member of the school choir. And at some point, they appointed me the, the chair of the choir. And we did well. We went all the way to national levels, you know, in the music competition. <laughs> so at least that one, I can take credit. If we had been numberless, maybe I would not have talked about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we had outfits like the science clubs, which I, I really loved. So, so those small responsibilities, but also... Uh, Because I used to, if you have read the book, you see that um, I I was brought up as a very strict uh, Christian and we were very involved in matters of the church. So, for instance, uh, I was a member of the Catholic Action, which is one of the, in the Catholic Church, it's one of the key organizations, very strong, which was really uh, dealing with propagation of faith uh, at our level so i i and i took several positions so sometimes it would be as the secretary sometimes it would be as the treasurer you know just a position of responsibility at that time it was not as serious as today but uh, probably that also helped me to develop some of the attributes that helped later in life when i, I took up very serious uh, responsibilities as a leader
1: talking about attributes so for you What are some of the attributes you've kind of relied on to help you succeed as a leader?
2: Well, one of them is, um, and and, you know, for me, one of the attributes that is non-negotiable for me as a leader has been um, integrity. Uh, Because um, my mom also taught me, by action, that um, transparency, accountability, and that whole integrity and ethical behavior space it's a non-negotiable. And I always um, give the example of the time when I was sent to the shop. And then I lost the change, which was only a five cents. I, 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 if you remember, if you were there that time when we had coins, small coins, five cents, I had a 50 cents change. And I, I ran back with the provisions I had bought from the shop and gave them to my mom. And the first thing, of course, you'd ask is, where is the change? Uh, so... I realized I looked for it in my pockets. I think it just fell off as I was running. I could not really see it. So but she told me, go, bring the change. So I'm like, wow, I have no idea where it is. So, but, but I had to go back and look for it. So I walked all the way back to the shop, looking for it on the ground, step by step. Of course, you see, I can't even remember where did I step when I was running down, you know. I'm even now wondering, did I run on this side or the other side of the road, you know. <laughs> but I had to find it. I didn't find it, but I was lucky in a way because one of the old men who was just walking, one of my neighbors was walking along the road at that time. So he finds me and I'm very agitated and I'm looking all over and I'm like, oh, okay. So he's like... Oh, Wangare, what is the problem? What's the problem? So I told her, I've lost change from my mom and she will kill me today if I don't give it to her. And I can't find it. I don't know where it went. He gave me a 50 cents, which is what I took to her. And she said, yes, you have to account for every cent that you get and anything that is entrusted to you, however big or small, you have to be transparent and accountable. To the maximum to a hundred percent so that that is one of the attributes that i learned as i was growing up and i and i loved that lesson much later at that point i felt it was a very harsh punishment for
0: me
2: but later on it made sense to me because it's a lesson that i never forgot because up to today and if you look at it now in the context of what i do in a bank whereby customers entrust you with uh, lots and lots of assets. And, you know, it it comes in handy because also even in terms of when I mentor others, it's usually the lesson that I do not forget to tell them, remember, run your business, even if you are self-employed or if you are employed by somebody else the way I'm employed by equity. Run the business with integrity. Do what you're doing with integrity because if you fail in that, you may seem to be doing very well today, or yeah, and everyone is looking like you're doing well, but eventually it will crumble down. So for me, that was the first lesson, and that for me was the most important leadership attribute that I have deliberately and very actively gone by. Over the years. Of course, the other one is, um, you know, the issue of focusing on what is important, uh, the discipline uh, to focus and, uh, you know, follow your priorities. Um, because, again, you know, as a leader, there you have a thousand and one things that you can do you know, in one single day. So you must have the discipline to focus on what you need to focus on at any one point in time. Uh, so that discipline is also very important for me and it has come in handy in terms of what to do and what not to do at any one point in time.
1: Oh, wow. Very key. Very key and very strong attributes. In terms of challenges in your leadership journey, what have those been and how have you surmounted them?
2: Yeah, le- let me say that one of the my most uh, what I would say notable challenges was actually the um, adaptation to the bank uh, when I moved there uh, from a uh, private practice because um, you know it required a very different kind of thinking, a very different kind of mindset, and and first of all you must look at it from this perspective. I I have been my own boss, you know, running my own farm, uh, so you make all the decisions and um, I mean, your word is almost like the law, <laughs> and 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 there's very little consultation you have to do, and then suddenly you find yourself in this uh, more structured organization, fast growing, uh, where you find that um, uh, sometimes you know your opinion is not necessarily <laughs> the 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 right or final decision, and it also requires a lot of. Um, consultation, across, uh, you know, you say upwards, downwards, sideways, all around, you know, before you make a key decision. And also you will need to get everybody to support and get get, get a sense of ownership when you decide now this is the way we are going to go. So for me, that uh, sort of adjustment took me quite a bit of um, effort and I needed to sort of like deliberately go out of my way to learn. Uh, so the first thing I did was to learn, first of all, to understand uh, what banking is all about. What, what, what business are we in? Because I knew the legal business very well. I, I knew what customers wanted. Uh, by the time the customer tells you the first few lines, I knew what to do. Uh, but here it's a f- completely new ball game, and I found myself there. So I needed to understand first of all what is banking all about who are the players who are the stakeholders what does each of these stakeholders want what is the value proposition for them Uh, and then of course what are the value drivers for the business so I needed to learn all that like it was for me like a new book that I have never read before that I needed to read and understand but I did exactly that so I would say that the first two years in equity I spent learning banking. And it it meant anything from reading the annual uh, reports, uh, financial statements of the bank from cover to cover, from end to end, uh, to understand banking language, uh, to understand um, how the ratios work. Yeah, for instance, I had to know, for instance, uh, what do you mean by non-performing loans? I mean, I had not cared about that before when I was in legal practice. And yet now I'm supposed to prepare a paper to the board, you know, to say what is the non-performing loan. I have no idea. Is it a good idea when this thing is high or when it's low? Then, of course, I learned, oh, that thing, never make it. Uh, it's not good when it's high. Keep it as low as you can. So that is what I had to do. So it was a lot of work. But, but I think eventually I, I did well. And, um, and and I would say that because I did well and made that effort, that is why actually eventually the board even was confident enough to appoint me as the director for strategy. That happened in um, 2007 after I had been three years in the bank. I, I attribute that to that confidence that the board got in me. Uh, and I always wonder probably, if I had not done that, could I have got that that other appointment? I probably just have remained um, in my legal docket, which I had already created the legal department, and but I was staffing it also with the the right resources. But uh, I was also able now to to do something else, uh, and and that was as the director for strategy from around two thousand and seven all the way to 2018 when I got the new role.
1: Wow, oh, wow. Your memorable, most memorable moments in this journey of yours, which ones are they?
2: I think my most memorable is um, the day I said yes to joining equity <laughs> from legal practice. Because um, as you can appreciate, uh, that was a major decision for me. And it's just because of how different the two roles were, you know, coming from an advocate in legal practice, whereby the only thing I knew was was law. And I did law very well. I did legal very well. I loved practice. I used to love going to court. I used to love litigation. I used to love commercial law, conveyancing, I used to love it. So now making that decision, you know, to join the bank was probably, I would say one of the most memorable moments And it was also probably a very significant milestone for me in my leadership journey. Uh, Sometimes I even wonder, I try to ask myself, what might have happened if I had said no to equity at that point in time? But I didn't say no. I said yes. But it also meant that I took a big risk. Because as I said earlier, I was used to being my own boss. Now I have to sort of like subject myself. I have a boss not one, many, I have the board, I have my group CEO, I have my co-directors, I have. So it's a completely different scenario. I must say that when I look back, that board decision changed the course of my life. And, And I would say that I'm convinced that it was for the better because the learning and the experiences have been absolutely awesome since that time.
1: Transitions. I know transitions are difficult. As I was telling you earlier, I would make like two different transitions in my career. But what inspired you just to make that bold step?
2: What had happened uh, is that um, after practicing law for about uh, 10 years, because I started the uh, practice in 91, right after my admission as an advocate of the High Court of Kenya, Uh, And I started practice initially, I was employed in a legal firm as an associate, and then I went on on my own. Now, by about 2000, about, let's say, about nine years later, I was feeling like um, I've really enjoyed practice. I truly love everything about practice. But you know, somehow deep down me, I was feeling like, is this all for nine years I feel like I need to be more impactful and I'm not feeling it, you know, that the impact I'm looking for, I am sort of not, although I'm creating impact, I'm representing. I even used to take some pro bono briefs for FIDA, KITUO, Chasheria and all that. And that fulfilled me, but I didn't feel like I was able to do enough, uh, that I was doing enough of impactful work in the way that I felt it's really meeting my expectations for fulfillment so at that point I started thinking about what else can I do Uh, what are the options and of course you know as a lawyer I'm thinking oh maybe now I look for an NGO and join them uh, doing human rights or women's rights I, I even thought about doing a master's in women's law I even got an admission but my babies were very small So I changed my mind at the last minute because it required me to travel out of the country for almost a year. And my babies were quite small that time, so I couldn't move. So what I decided to do was to do a diploma in gender and development at the University of Nairobi because that was available. They did not have a corresponding degree uh, that I could do on gender. So I did the postgraduate diploma. And uh, that exposed me a lot to women's issues and the problems women face on all fronts, uh, financial independence, abuse, you know, and, and all those other things. But also importantly, you know, the opportunities that are available for women. So at that point in time, I was ready to make the move. But you see now, my thinking was very different. So by the time the CEO of Equity came to my office and asked me to do a brief for them, first of all as an external counsel, where they were getting an investor into the bank, I had not even thought about a bank or a financial institution as a possible destination for me. But uh, the more I worked with Equity and the more I understood their vision and their purpose of empowerment, I sort of felt like, oh, okay, I, I like this. It looks like they're doing something which is very impactful. You know, financial inclusion. That time, the banked population in Kenya was only about uh, uh, 5%. And and they were trying now to bring more more and more people, especially the low-income segment, into into banking and financial services. So I sort of like, sort of identified with that kind of, a purpose and a vision and so by the time they asked me now to join you know permanently I was bought on onto that uh, vision and I really felt like maybe this is my answer to what I've been looking for that kind of in fulfillment uh, through impact and so that, that's how I made the the major shift yeah
1: oh okay that's good to know so you mm-hmm. talked about your your Memorable moment. What has been your lowest moment in your
2: leadership? <laughs> well, there are many uh, failed projects or projects that did not go <laughs> the way the way you wanted. Uh, and, and I've had a couple of them. I've talked about a few in the book. I mean, we even tried to open a branch in London, which failed flat on, <laughs> on the stomach. <laughs> so, and, and Uganda also was a real challenge for us when uh, we successfully completed the transaction and we got into the country, we started, and we were feeling so good because it was the first acquisition. But after that, everything just took a nose dive. performance just went down to negative within a year it was so bad image was bad reputation was bad we were losing people light left and center no there were a lot of frauds so we we had to sort of like figure out so and and you know when you have done a project with a lot of gusto and a lot of expectation and then suddenly it looks like everything is failing the board is on your case why did you even do this thing? Are you sure you're ready? Can you just close it? That's all the board told us at some point. If you cannot turn it around, but we said we are going to turn it around. But what it means also is that we have to make very tough decisions on governance, the management team, the staff members, uh, the processes. The... So we, we basically had to overhaul the whole leadership and everything about that business. And eventually, after about three three years or so now, we started seeing some good progress. So, yeah, so those moments were there when uh, the projects either totally failed or, or they required a completely different way of looking at them and making tough decisions. One of the hardest decisions that probably you have to do as a leader is to even let go of somebody, even if they are not uh, doing very well. Uh, because at the end of the day you are saying this is a human being just like any other with the usual emotions and the usual feelings and all that so it, it is always not a very easy moment when you have to make those very tough decisions as the circumstances uh, demand but but then again as a leader that that's what differentiates a leader a good leader and a not so good leader, the, the courage to do that and to make those very bold decisions. Yeah, so I I did uh, that. I mean, um, working with a team, uh, but, you know, I was uh, heading uh, the subsidiary projects. Uh, so that was uh, something that was directly under my control or under my ambit. So, but eventually, I think we got it right after those tough decisions.
1: Mary, what inspires you to keep leading?
2: What I would say is that found a very strong sense of purpose. I, I probably found my purpose. And when I see, for instance, if you look at what we are doing in equity, because I can now talk about that in the context of equity, we champion transformation. And then we started from a very low base when equity was technically insolvent. Somehow found its feet again through a turnaround. And then, Deliberately started a business model that was targeted for impact. Now, when I look at how equity was when I came, equity was at 3 billion Kenya shillings balance sheet when I joined. When I look at it today, uh, at the last announcement, I believe we announced the 1.5 trillion Kenya shillings, the same balance sheet. It was in one country then, Kenya. Now we are proudly in in six countries within the region. We were employing 500 people that time. Now we are talking about over 13,000 people in the group. We had only maybe 500,000 customers. Now we are talking about 18 million customers consuming various products and services. So when I look at that alone, for me, it is very, very inspiring. And that is what gives me the passion and the energy to wake up early and come to work at Equity every single day or do what else needs to be done to further the mission and the vision of the business. Now, there's another aspect of it, George, and this is... um, the social impact, because uh, as part of uh, our business model, we said you cannot empower a community if you don't also look at those things, extra things you need to do for those who are not even able to consume your commercial products as a financial institution. And uh, so we started the foundation, the group foundation in 2008. And uh, we also looked at the way we understand our customers, what are the pain points? And also those who have not been able to join because, and here we are talking about um, small, small business, micro enterprises, whereby the individuals cannot even open an account at that point in time. What can we do for them? And so that is why if you look at the pillars of the foundation, they are completely intertwined to the commercial business because, like, for instance, we take we do financial literacy to those small business businesses and we train them very basic skills of running and managing a business. And the aim is to prepare them for banking and financial services. So a lot of them come in, even without an account. And then through the training, they are able now to qualify. And then they are able to open accounts. They manage their businesses better. And over time, they are able even to get loans. And then they grow their businesses. And we have seen a lot of them thrive after that. So those kind of interventions. And then, of course, the wings to fly. That is why we said the very disadvantaged kids who will not have gone to school if they don't get that equity scholarship. We have done now over 60,000 of those scholarships in the last few years. So when I think about that, I mean, for me, I I don't feel very great when somebody uh, just comes oh, congratulations, you are now the group executive director of equity. Okay, I feel happy, it's good, but I feel happier by the customer who comes and tells me, you know what? When I came to equity, I had nothing. Equity gave me the first small loan of 5,000 or 10,000. Now look where I am. I have just made an application for a loan of 100 million because we have those kind of cases. Some are now applying for loans of over a billion shillings because their businesses have expanded. And I say, well, what else would someone like me want? other than those testimonials. Now we are doing health also, uh, just to take care of uh, quality and affordable health because we realize that's a challenge. Uh, we have done a lot in Agri, Agri is the same, where we do a lot of training for the farmers because we realize that we start doing farming the same way our mothers used to do, the same way our grandmothers used to do. We don't know what kind of soil, we don't know what kind of seeds, and we have seen productivity rising over time. So those kind of uh, initiatives and testimonials keep me going every single day.
1: So if you are to use a metaphor, an image or analogy to describe your leadership role, what would that look like?
2: There's one animal that I admire or one bird and that's the ego. Why the ego? Because um, I, I think from research it is said that the ego has one of the best visions in any bird or any animal alive. And it can also fly high, high, survive very cold temperatures. So you know, that kind of resilience, I I am willing to survive this because of ABCD for survival. It's also very courageous. But what I like most about it is the nurturing spirit. Uh, because I've also seen, you know, the way it uh, nurtures its young ones, the way it teaches them how to fly and land and, you know, uh, survive in the air very lovingly. But sometimes you are thinking, wow, that is, who that mother. Oh, should you not be a bit more kinder to that young one? But that's how the lesson is learned. And then they are taught, well, if you get this one wrong, you are going to die you will not survive. I also like, um, you know, how it renews itself because um, I I have seen that when it goes on a few years and now it's tired, you know, the beak is becoming not sharp enough to hunt. It actually goes and, you know, very painfully renews itself. Um, I think it actually removes its claws and they have to grow again. Very, very painful process. And that gives gives it a new lease of life. So probably that's how I would describe myself, because uh, first of all, and I'm not saying I will have all those attributes perfected, but I would like, th- that, those are my desirable attributes. And, and what I feel I'm falling short of, I work on uh, just to be like an ego. Uh, so that, that probably that's, that, that's what I would say uh, to that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. An ego, you read about it and what it does is quite amazing. Yeah. So let's shift gear a little bit. You are an author. Congratulations on writing your book. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration and what it's about. And I've been seeing you on LinkedIn, having talks and signing books. So just tell us a little bit just about that whole experience.
2: Yes, of course. Now I'm an author and I'm very proud of that. You know, when I when I posted um that I had launched a book on LinkedIn, the first message I, I saw, I don't know how they knew that was that um a message from them. You know that a lot they tell you, people like you join this this group, authors and writers, and I was like, yeah, I belong there. <laughs> And I felt so proud about it. Uh, So I I am feeling very proud of uh, my achievement because, you know, at some point it felt like a mirage and um, um, I didn't know whether I would be able to meet that um, commitment which I had made to myself last year. During my birthday last year, I had promised the guys who came to celebrate with me that uh, I'm going to write a book. The reason why I did that was because I felt that um, over the course of my life, and and now this is not life inequity. Since I was born, there were several experiences that I had gone through that uh, hopefully would inspire others. And here we are talking about my childhood, how I I was born to a single person, farmer mother, who had very little to give me. And one of the lessons that she impacted on me, in addition to the one I talked to earlier, was um, Mary, I have nothing to give you. This is what she told me. But uh, if you work very hard in school, you are going to be able to get yourself out of this village. And, And the village, because that village meant that there was really nothing for her because she was very poor. And she didn't see any future for me in that village. So she told me, you must get yourself out of here. So work very hard. But that was a condition, work very hard in school. And that was what she told me. So my first lesson was to work very hard in school. And I did that, top marks, and eventually I went to the law school and studied law. Uh, And then after I studied law, of course, I started working as a lawyer. I did well there. But you see also, even in that law, it requires focus for you to do well because we have also seen people who do the same and they don't succeed very much because they don't have the discipline, they don't have the focus. And then of course I joined the bank and the same carried me, uh, the issues of focus, the issue of hard work. Uh, So I wanted to talk about that in the book so that it can also inspire others and especially those people who almost give up because they are saying, me, I was born in a very poor family. And there's no hope for me. There are no chances of me ever making it. Some people, even when I talk to them, they tell me, are you sure anybody can survive and be anything without knowing somebody? And I'm telling them, no, me, I did not know anybody. I came to Nairobi the first time. To report to Nairobi University, I was nineteen years old. I didn't know even a single soul in Nairobi, or someone connected to anybody. But I worked my way through, and here I am now. Even the coming of James to my office as a, the she was the finance director of equity at that time was because I referred by his colleagues who I was working with or in the conveyancing side. And when he asked them, do you know a good lawyer who can help us with this transaction? They referred him to me as one of their lawyers. And they said, we think she can do a good job, probably because I had done a good job for them previously. So that is why I wrote the book. And uh, and, and I'm happy that uh, it seems to be inspiring many people based on the comments I'm getting uh, and also the 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 way there's a lot of interest for me to talk a little bit more about the principles in the book. I've been talking when I can, when time allows from my full-time job. And for me, it's also very fulfilling. But uh, let me also say that writing that book was part of uh, building my legacy of mentorship. Uh, Because I also, when I realized that I have amassed a lot of experience in the last uh, several years of my life, I said, why can't I share these experiences with others? It may, might encourage somebody or somebody might learn something and it may change the course of their life. So for me, it is also now to support my mentorship initiative, uh, which I'm already doing uh, by talking to people, uh, answering their questions. Yeah, or some just by reading the book, even those so I will not have a chance to interact with. So for me, it's a big thing especially because of what I already feel is the impact that is, it is creating across uh, different people.
1: And by way, what do people think of the title?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Aye, most people are mesmerized. Oh, most people are, why the village girl? <laughs> but there's one thing I told them and I told them that, first of all, I am proud of my roots, where I came from. I am proud of where I came from. There are some people who are quite embarrassed to talk about it. But me, I said, the only way I can demonstrate that you can come from the village and the village here actually does not demonstrate necessarily the physical village, rural. Mine was rural for real, the real village. But it can also demonstrate the circumstances that you find yourself in sometimes. Very challenging. So I wanted to just show them that you can get yourself out of that village, whatever village you are dealing with, okay, which is not necessarily that village, uh, and really do well for yourself. But there are a few things that you have to do. Because, you know, sometimes we like complaining, oh, me my parents are poor, or I have nothing. But what are you doing about it? If you are a student, are you working hard in school? if you are employed somewhere, even if you don't have a very top-level job, I'm telling them, you must be a leader, whether you are a T-girl or whether you are a first-level entry clerk somewhere in an office or a business. You demonstrate your leadership at that level, whatever level you are. Because, you know, sometimes people think, oh, leadership is for CEO, it's for directors, it's for managers. No, I tell them, be a leader in whatever you are doing and once you demonstrate that leadership capability the whole world will be open to you because somebody somewhere is going to recognize you know your hard work your diligence and reward you at some point so that is the message uh, in the book
1: congratulations where can one get it
2: the book is available on nuria it's an online store uh, in Nairobi, but they deliver everywhere in uh, africa so, this, um, they, you just need to google Nuria on a store and uh, the, the link will come up. And you just order they deliver, uh, so it's very easy to get it. But if you okay. know me, just call me,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll call you. <laughs> you I want
2: to you yeah, <laughs> I'll deliver to your doctor. <laughs> uh, okay, sure, I'll
1: definitely do that. <laughs> definitely do that you said you are in equities in six countries that's in africa so so question is you know you know there's all this right now a kind of for lack of a better one a kind of a revival of africa taking its place a revival of us you know just knowing what to do so the question is to attain our full potential as a continent what kind of leaders do we need
2: We need leaders who are selfless, first of all, uh, selfless leaders, leaders who don't um, go for their own self-interest. That's a prerequisite and and who are really genuinely concerned about uh, the welfare of the people that they lead. And why this is important is so that uh, all the policies will be to encourage the people First of all, to create the right policies to encourage the people to take advantage of the opportunities. Because I agree with you, Africa holds great potential. And there's always a question, why a continent which is endowed with so many resources? Because if you look at each of the African countries, it has a special endowment in terms of natural resources. And then we're also endowed in great human resource capability more than anywhere else. So the question is why can't Africa be the leading continent? Why should we be following? That's the great question. So if we have leaders who are leading the people to take charge and take advantage, first of all, by solving you know the basic issues of you know basic necessities are met, uh, those, you know, because I think we should not be discussing basics because you if you don't get everybody to the level of basics then basics will be there the discussion do people have enough food do they have clean water do they have education you know for at all levels uh, all the way from the very tertiary uh, I mean to from the lower level to the top you know more advanced levels and all that we should now be creating our own Ivy League schools in Africa and we can do it so the possibilities are huge but we need leaders who are selfless but also leaders who are very innovative because we also say that um, if you have been doing the same same thing the same same way uh, and getting certain results and you continue doing the same same thing expecting a different result it will never happen yeah so extraordinary problems will call for extraordinary kind of leaders who help the population to also think differently about the opportunities they have and also to help them to work selflessly for their country because once they lift the country everybody gets lifted and then we stop talking about poverty we stop talking about you know food insecurity we stop talking about, degradation of uh, environment uh, we stop talking about homeless people and you know those kind of things and now we start having more prosperous communities who are in charge of their destiny so that that's what i feel and and i do believe that we will get there we will get there eventually
1: oh thank you a final question before we say goodbye if you are sitting with a young leader Then they'd ask you, what do I need to do to get where you are? What would be your
2: response? Leadership is very simple, yet very difficult. You know, sometimes we say simple and then we are like, why are we all leaders? (laughs) Although we all claim to be leaders in our own right, but it's not easy. And yet the principles are very simple. But the first one is, um, any person who wants to lead or become a leader, must reinvent themselves and have a very innovative mind they must be ready to first of all disrupt themselves and then disrupt the organizations and this is just because of what is happening out there the environment is changing very very fast very rapidly Uh, so if you are a leader you must be able to almost do a forecast of the environment What are the customer trends today? Can you imagine, George, when we used to do banking with the physical manual ledger cards? Those days, for those who had uh, my first account with the bank called Postbank in Kenya, and uh, we had manual cards. And uh, you would not go to the bank, they would not allow you to go within seven days from the last time you went. and, And if your card got lost or misplaced, that sometimes they used to do, there, there's no money for you at that time and you know today i go to my phone transfer money to george pay my power bill pay water pay what do my shopping you know things have changed so if we did not figure out that is the way we are going to go and you are still issuing ledger cards in your business man you're doomed you will not go anywhere Now, the second one is, and I talked a bit about this, is the need for integrity as a leader. And that one I'll just keep on repeating that. It doesn't matter what you build. If you lose the integrity bit of it, one day it will all come down because it does not have a solid foundation. Now, the third one I like talking about is authenticity. Be the authentic leader. And don't try to be like anybody else. I mean, I always say that um, I cannot be like, or even a lesser version of the best CEO in the world. I can't, however much I try. I can copy their dressing styles, I can copy their speech, I can, but I cannot be them. But I can be a better version of myself every day. And that is what we need. And this is by making daily improvements the way we do things, the way we interact with people, the way we are leading generally, the decisions we are making and how we make those decisions, that is what makes us better. And every day we are making a positive step towards the better version of ourselves. And then we build very good habits every single day. And of course, you know, remove all the bad habits, you know, very intentionally that we may have. Because as leaders, we are also human. But let me also say that to be a leader, a good leader, start by being human. And being human is being a kind person. Kindness. And kindness does not mean you are not strict. Everything has to be done when it needs to be done. I mean, in a bank, there are policies and procedures. And the first question I ask is, what is the policy? Let's start from there. But then at the end of the day, I must always remember that I am dealing with a human being. It could be my staff member who has feelings like anyone else, like me. It could be a customer who is in distress. How do I deal with them even in those difficult moments, even when very tough decisions have to be made? I have to deal with them, first of all, like a human being by being kind and being gentle. And then, yeah. What needs to be done will be done.
1: Wow, so true. Mary, thank you so much for your time. Any final words or anything to say before before we say goodbye?
2: I would just like to say, first of all, thank you so much for having me in this forum. I really, truly appreciate you reaching out. And uh, also to say, especially to those who are listening, uh, that um, I feel very fulfilled and I'm happy that... um, the book is inspiring a lot of the people who have read it uh, from the feedback i have got and i would like them to also think about um, what legacy they are going to create because at the end of of the day when we are no more it is not what we have done here uh, the investments we have made the titles we held and all that it will be how people remember us how many people's lives we touched. So I want to urge everybody to find a way of giving back to the society. And giving back does not mean that you have a lot to give. Sometimes it just requires time. Sometimes it requires just a very kind word to somebody in distress, somebody who is sick. Yeah, sometimes it may require money. A kid may be in no need of a scholarship or something. So just give what you can within your means. And that is what you are going to be remembered for. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. Wish you well. Wish you success even in all that you do. Thank you so much, Mary, and God
0: bless. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.